thank you that David was kind to Mephibosheth. We were not expecting that kindness, even though he is a righteous king, like the kings of this world, we expect him to rule from strength. But he ruled with his kindness. And in this way, he pictured the greater king to come, Jesus Christ, whom we pray we too would become imitators. We pray this in his name. Amen. One of the, uh, if you've ever read 1 Samuel, 2 Samuel, 1 Kings, 2 Kings, you ever read that section of Scripture, you'll know how dark it can get. It is not a happy time in Israel's history. It's the hunger games of the Bible. It is a time of war. It is a game of thrones. It is a dark time in which everybody involved uses all the power of human, that humans can have, all of the various tools at human disposal to rip down, to drag out, to throw away, to build themselves up, often at the expense of others. The history of the kings of Israel is a sad history to read about. There are bright spots along the way, but even those bright spots are full of darkness. It can be a discouraging read. And sometimes in this passage, passages like this, where we have a bright spot, we have a a nice moment, we can forget the overarching context. We can forget that there is war, uh, internal conflict, social destruction all around us. And when we forget that, we forget how unlikely the event we just read about is. This is, this is not a smart decision. I mean, when you're surrounded by people who are trying to tear you down, when you're surrounded you know, in this kind of situations of social conflict where you realize that everyone's out for themselves, maybe it's in uh, a corporate work environment where everyone is seeking to do their own thing, everyone is insisting on their own way, and they'll be polite for a time, but you know you've got to watch your back. Or maybe it's at school and trying to to, uh, go up the social ladder. And you're in that context where even your friends can be against you. Or in David's case, his own son will turn against him later on in this book. Kindness does not become our first instinct when navigating those social issues. And there's a good reason for that. Kindness opens you up. Kindness weakens you. It provides an opportunity for others to use your kindness against you. And we have maxims for that. You know, don't mistake my kindness for weakness. What we're trying to do is be kind while also asserting strength. We're getting our backs. We're covering ourselves. Kindness weakens you. It opens you up for betrayal. It opens you up for attack. In David's case, involved in this hierarchical kinds of relationships, constantly fighting for his throne. Some have called this section of Samuel a, uh, a, a, a succession narrative. It's, that is, it's concerned with establishing who is the legitimate successor. 
to Saul and later to David. Who will be king after me? As David will later wonder. And as David is thinking about those things, as he's wrestling with those things, kindness, establishing a household for Mephibosheth, giving Mephibosheth all the land of Saul is a dangerous move. It's a risky venture. And it's unnecessary. He doesn't need to do this. But this passage comes and it teaches us that David is kind because God is kind. David is kind as God is kind. Look with me at verse 3. David puts it this way. He understands something about God that we do not. He understands something about our situation, even a situation of conflict and division and disparity and judgment. He understands something about his difficult situation that we sometimes forget, and that, that is that his situation is determined by God's kindness. So he says this uh, in verse 3, Is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? In verse 1, it's just show kindness. In verse 3, it's the kindness that I want to show is the kindness of God. And that gives us a way of processing this text. This text is a picture of the fact that God is kind, that God has showed David kindness. And that kindness, and here's the point, that kindness particularly the kindness of God that David is emulating, it cuts through the situation. It, kindness is subversive in a way that might is not. David gets that because he owes his throne to God's kindness. And so owing his throne to God's kindness, he seeks to show kindness to those around him. God is kind, and that kindness cuts through David's difficult situation. First, let's look at the motive of God's kindness, and then we will turn to the act of God's kindness, the kind of things that kindness does. What does kindness look like? Uh, Both of these pictured then in David. The motive for kindness. God is kind. Why does David show kindness? Why does God show kindness? There are a number of motives at work in David's Life, some of which you can subtly and not so subtly see in this text. And I'd like to start us off on kind of a dark note because when you're reading 2 Samuel, when you're reading this book, it's because of the darkness of the literature, because it's very honest about human sin, it's, it's good to put your cynical hat on a little bit, to, to, to question motives, okay? Even when people are doing good things, and um, it's good to kind of ask, are there ulterior motives, Okay? We don't want to live there, we don't want to leave it there, but it's a good question when you're reading a book that deals with the honesty of human sin as human beings are interacting with one another. It's a good question to ask, and maybe you'll get some of the drama that's going on. And one of David's motives and it's, uh, that, that we can ask and, and think about is David is actually indebted to Jonathan. Maybe, maybe this has happened to you, maybe you show... Somebody has shown kindness to you. Maybe you got a Christmas card that you weren't expecting this year. You know, old friend, you got a Christmas card and they weren't on your list. And you realize you didn't give them a Christmas card. So they got a late Christmas card, right? 
Right? You're trying to, you know, see, sometimes we can be kind in order to make up for somebody's kindness. And it sort of uh, uh, empties the debt. Right? Somebody's kind to us, or we get kind back, so we're okay. And maybe something like this is going on with David. Because David, if you'll remember the story in Samuel, is indebted to Jonathan. And he says so. He, he owns that. Who may I show him kindness for Jonathan's sake? Jonathan, by the way, is the rightful heir to the throne. He is the son of Saul. Okay? But instead of supporting his own father for his own interest, he supports David. Why? Because he loves David. And you can read about that earlier on in the book. uh, Jonathan shows kindness to David and uh, even cements the relationship that he has with David by spying on David's behalf to the detriment of his own self and to uh, his father, Saul. So perhaps part of David's motive is, is to to realize uh, in recognition that he is in debt to Jonathan to kind of um, make up for that debt. The other, the other indebtedness uh, that uh, uh, David has is to God. And this is apparent from the very beginning. You, know, you actually don't get a lot of statements about God's activity in these books, Samuel King's. They come in isolated fragments, and at the very beginning of David's own story, God says, I have chosen, I am rejecting Saul because of his disobedience, and I'm choosing David. And David recognizes that he is indebted to God for his throne, that he needs God for his throne. He didn't acquire it because he was worthy of it, that he didn't acquire it because uh, it was for, uh, because he had like a divine right to it. He wasn't born to this. It's something that he receives in spite of his situation. And God makes that very clear. From the very beginning, God makes it very clear to David that you owe this throne, you owe this power, you owe this authority to me. He picks the youngest son, the son who wasn't even called out of the fields to meet the prophet because it was so unlikely that there would be anything important that the prophet would have to say for him. He picks the youngest son demonstrating that David owes his authority and power to God. And indebtedness is a powerful motivator. We can read it cynically. We can leave on our cynical hats here, but now we can take them off and realize that actually it's precisely because I am unworthy of kindness that I need to be kind. Right? It's a powerful motivator. It's actually that thought that's going on even with the Christmas card or or maybe you received a present that seems too big or or too special beyond the the relationship. (laughs) And you feel that I've received something I do not deserve. I have not been that good a friend to you. And I want to do better. And the natural result is kindness. On the opposite end, arrogance destroys kindness. If you think you are worthy, if you think, if you go through life and, and say to yourself, I earned what I have, I deserve this, this is mine by rights, you are not going to be a very kind person. Arrogance destroys kindness. Humility begets it. 
And so already we have kind of an application for, for us. If you want to develop in these areas, if you would like to be more kind, start cultivating a sense of your unworthiness. The, the blessings that you have and your unworthiness for those blessings. That you, that you have food on your table because God is kind. Because out of that unworthiness, what, what results is a generous spirit. Not David's only motive, though. His indebtedness to Jonathan, his love for Jonathan, results in a, a feeling of loyalty, and particularly in a culture that is built on honor, that values loyalty as a great virtue. This is not inconsequential. It is not for, it is not for, uh, uh, it is for good reason that he, that David mentions Jonathan several times throughout this discourse. He's trying to indicate that the kindness he's showing Mephibosheth is because of this relationship that he has with Jonathan. And it's a way of expressing his loyalty, his faithfulness to Jonathan. David is a loyal guy. He, he punishes enemies. He will seek retribution. He shows mercy, but when uh, those who oppose him, he roots them out. And that is probably the reason why it is so difficult in the very first verse, this is a reference, it's so difficult for David to find somebody who is left to Saul's household. David can be ruthless, but he's loyal. He's faithful to his friends. And he wants to find a way to show his faithfulness to Jonathan, his love of Jonathan, to establish publicly, Jonathan and I were friends. He is gone. He is dead. But this was my friend, and I will be loyal, even after death, even after it's no longer required. Now, our goal here is to show how the kindness of David reflects the kindness of God, and and already we have kind of a disconnect. It doesn't, seem, it doesn't seem right to say, well, God is kind to us because he's loyal to us in the same way that David is loyal to Jonathan. Does that really fit? Is God kind because he is loyal to us? Because that implies a kind of beholdenness. But it's actually a theme that comes throughout the scriptures. It's actually constantly affirmed throughout the Old Testament and the New, that this act that I'm doing right now, this act of redeeming Israel from Exodus, from, from Egypt, this is because of my promise to Abraham, whom I loved. It's not because you're the most numerous of the nations. It's because I promised it to Abraham. This act of faithfulness and bringing about the Christ, it's because I made promises. It's because I loved Abraham and Israel and the children of God that I called out for myself, the people of God that I established through Moses. I loved these people, and I am loyal to them, not only for the first generation, but for thousands of generations to come. God, we are told, is a severe God. He will judge iniquity, but He is loyal. He is faithful. And this is actually a this is a great motivator for us. This, is, this should be an encouragement to us. 
The fact that, that God is kind to us, not in order to get something from us, not because he's beholden to us, but because he is the faithful one, as I sometimes quote when we're doing the Lord's Supper. He is compassionate, he is compassionate even when we are faithless. When faithless, he remains faithful. Why? Because he cannot deny himself. God is loyal to himself. He is consistent in the way he works. And when he promises something, he will do it. And this is a great encouragement to us because it is a reminder that even in those moments of discipline, even in those moments of trial, even when we're experiencing trouble and questions and doubts and wondering, why is God putting me through this? This is more than I can bear. This is more than I can handle. What happened to the kind and compassionate God whose yoke is easy and whose burden is light? At those times, we remember God is faithful to his promises. This, even this, flows from his love, from his kindness. And he will not fail to bring relief in our time of need. God is kind because he is loyal and cannot design, deny himself. David's final motive, talking about the motives of David's kindness, which reflect God himself, is love. David loves Jonathan. Jonathan loved David. Their love was pure, patient, kind, peaceful. In a time at which Israel was at war. And David and Jonathan, their love is so great for one another that they sacrifice themselves for one another. In fact, it's said of Jonathan that he loved David as he loved his own soul. That is the love that Paul talks about. Surely for a righteous man, someone might die. But God so loved us that he died for us when we were unrighteous. It is a love despite demerit. It is a love that takes place precisely in the context of sin and brokenness. But Jonathan, his love for David is what allows him to even separate himself from family and David, in turn, his love for Jonathan inspires him to look for opportunities to show kindness. Kindness even when it is at his own peril. In the same way, we can reflect on God's kindness to us. It is not begrudging, it is not forced, it is not reluctant. God, this, God's kindness flows from the fact that he delights in you. And when you delight in somebody, you've experienced this. It's no trouble to show kindness. But you know when you're being kind because you just have to. And then there's a time when you're being kind because you genuinely love this person and want to use the resources, whatever they are, all the resources at your disposal to tell them that you love them and to relieve them of burdens and to help them in times of need. That is why God sends his son for us. It is because he loves us. And his love for us is so perfect, so true. He loves us as his own son. 
and he even brings us into his own table. That's what David does. He treats Mephibosheth like a son. He gives him son status at his own table. Again, risky business for children who are potential heirs to the throne. But nevertheless, his love is so great that he would sacrifice himself and his own position and his own status so that Jonathan may be raised. And again, this is an encouragement to us. It's a reminder to us that God's love is the motive for his kindness. And because he loves us, we expect him to be kind. That's not a presumptuous expectation. That's not an expectation that arises from the fact that I think that I'm worthy of it or that God owes me. It's an expectation that derives rather from what God has said. He has said that he loves all of those who claim the name of Christ. All of those who believe in his son, those are the ones whom he loves. And he delights in giving good gifts to his children. As anyone who loves their children know, it is a delight to give them good gifts. It is work and it's costly, but it is a delight. Why? Because you delight in loving your children. You love them. God delights in showing kindness to us, his people. Well, what does God's kindness do? What does David's kindness do? We've seen why he... He, his motive for acting kindly to Mephibosheth, but what does he actually do for Mephibosheth? And how does that teach us about what God does and about how we should be interacting with one, uh, one another? I love this verse. Uh, verse. Verse 3, already quoted, is there not still someone of the house of Saul that I may show the kindness of God to him? Or even verse 1, is there still anyone left of the house of Saul? I mean, it gets, it gets at the, the desire, the intent, the intentionality of David showing kindness to Mephibosheth. This is not a, a, um, just a convenient time to show kindness, but David takes initiative and makes effort and goes out of his way to seek opportunities to show kindness to Mephibosheth. He, he wants this so badly. He desires it so badly that he searches for Mephibosheth. He has to go through extra work. To ha- so there's, there's kindness that we do that's part of our life and that's good types of kindness, but it's sort of along the way kinds of kindness, right? So you're going to the mall or you're going to church and you're opening the door and there's somebody next to you and you, and you step aside and you open it for the person next to you, right? You open the door for somebody next to you. You may not even know who they are. It's an opportunity to show kindness, to, to open the door and not slam it in somebody's face. There's along-the-way kinds of kindness, and then there's the pursuit of kindness. There's, and it flows from all the motives that we looked at um, earlier. It flows from David's loyalty, from his sense of indebtedness, from his love or his particular love for Jonathan. He goes out of his way to find an opportunity to be kind to somebody who does not deserve it. Can't I find in there someone left? Anyone. Perhaps it's so, a uh, little exegetical note, perhaps it's so difficult to find somebody because, first of all, D- David and his uh, supporters have eliminated all the competition. 
well, how does he not know about, one of the questions is, how does he not know about Mephibosheth, the son of his best friend, okay? Jonathan's son, like, how do you not know about this son? And you have to kind of step into the culture. This is perhaps why it's said a couple times throughout the discourse that he was lame in both feet. Uh, that is to say that, that by the uh, culture of the day, he would be considered unimportant. Not worthy of paying attention to. David's loyalty, his kindness, his, his desire to show kindness is so great that he's, that he's able to ignore all of the reasons not to show kindness to Mephibosheth and do something countercultural, something unexpected, to seek him out, to seek out this wounded one, this lame man, and to show him favor. Mephibosheth doesn't deserve it. This is not required of David. He is under no obligation. And yet David's love is so great. His sense of debtedness is so great that he goes out and he seeks Mephibosheth to show him great kindness. And in the same way, I'm reminded of that passage, a wonderful passage, where Jesus says, I, I am here for the lost sheep of Israel. They're lost. They're wandering. They're no longer here. They're not where they're supposed to be. They, they haven't been faithful. They're not worthy of Christ's time. And yet, Jesus goes out and he seeks them. He seeks an opportunity to show kindness. And he tells his disciples, go later, go to all the nations. Don't go just to the lost sheep of Israel. That was his job. Go to all the nations and find sheep for the kingdom. They are not owed God kindness. But God initiates. God's love is so great that he seeks opportunities to show kindness and love to those who are lost, to those who are fallen. If you are one of those people and you feel that lostness and you feel that distance from God, distance from others, you, you feel that unworthiness, why would God be kind to me? Why would God show love for me? I am not worthy of it. This is precisely the ones to whom Jesus came. These are the ones that Jesus seeks for his kingdom. There are those guests, remember the wedding feast. There are those guests who were invited in, those guests who were, who were called, who, were in, who received the, the gilded invitation, and they treated the kindness of the host as just so much wasted time. So what does Jesus do? He seeks out those who will come to the feast. Those who delight in receiving the kindness of the host. David seeks out Mephibosheth. God seeks out from all of the nations those who will receive this kindness and he sets them at his table. That's the second act of kindness. It's the second attribute of kindness that we see here is that it goes above and beyond our expectations. Already, Jonathan uh, is, uh, excuse me, uh, Mephibosheth is, is owed nothing. There is no obligation here other than that which is motivated by David's sense of honor and loyalty and love. Okay, there's no law that requires him to act this way. So, not, but not only does David seek out Mephibosheth to show him kindness, he gives him far more abundantly than he really actually should. He gives him everything 
Everything that was Saul's is given to Mephibosheth. Not only that, he has a seat at the king's table. When David shows kindness, he goes overboard. He goes well overboard. He actually goes so far overboard that he creates a situation of risk for himself. It's risky to have the grandson of Saul sitting at the king's table. In the same way, when God shows kindness to us, he goes overboard. And we see this in the way Christ obtains his kingdom. We see this in the death of Christ. See, in order to show kindness to us, unfaithful servants that we are, in order to show kindness to us, wicked and under the curse, in order to show us kindness and still be a just God, still be the God who will punish iniquity, who will destroy the rebels, who will pursue justice in the earth. For us to receive the kindness of God, Jesus had to die. And God doesn't shrink from that, but embraces it. Jesus, his son, willingly submits to it. So that, so that Jesus, in order to show love for the sheep, the sheep who have walked off a cliff, Jesus walks off a cliff. Jesus, in order to seek out the lost, those who are ensnared by the devil, he faces the punishment of death. Jesus is willing to go that far to show us kindness, to bring us to his own table. Kindness opens you up, kindness puts you at risk. Kindness requires sacrifice. Even the little kindnesses of holding the door open requires you to stay just that much longer in the cold, cold air. And the greater the kindness, the greater the sacrifice. And if Jesus is going to bring us to his own table and sit us in the congregation and call us many sons and daughters of God, equal heirs to the covenant, as we read about in Galatians this morning, so that we are all firstborn sons as he is, then what Jesus has to do in order to accomplish that is to take on the judgment and the justice that we deserve so that we may receive the blessings that he deserves. That happens at the cross and the resurrection. Jesus died in order to show you kindness. That's how far God is willing to go to be kind to you. So why then doubt? Does not God give good gifts to his children? Why doubt in those times that God causes us to suffer? We have this firm testimony that he is still on our side. Though he has caused us pain, he does it for our good. Though he has caused us suffering, brought it about in our midst, Nevertheless, his basic aim is to give us good gifts. And why would we doubt that as if he has given us his only son? We have seen the lengths to which God would show, go to show us kindness. So we do not need to be afraid. What do we do with that? What do you do when somebody shows you undeserved kindness? How do you respond when you get that present that's too big or that 
that help that's just at the right time from a source that you perhaps didn't expect? What, what should our response be when, show, when someone shows us kindness? And you have an additional problem here. Because sometimes, you know, you receive a Christmas card, so the response is put them on your Christmas card list. You know, there's a, a kind of parody that you can obtain in those moments of kindness, but what do you do with this? There's, there's nothing that you can do to, that would appropriately make up for the kindness that God has given you. There's no way to meet this debt. There's nothing that you can give back to God that would be kind of like, okay, we're even now. There, how do you respond to this level of compassion, sacrifice on your behalf? Praise be to the word of God. It tells us um, two things. First, you can find on the front of your bulletin, Romans 2.4. Do you presume on the riches of his kindness and forbearance and patience, not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance? The kindness of God, whether it's just food on the table every single day, we don't presume on that. The kindness of God, that test that you've been praying for and you finally passed, or that promotion that you just needed and finally received. When the kindness of God comes in all of its forms, the little and the great, the good and that which seems like suffering for a time, the kindness of God is designed to get us to reflect on our lives, the things that we have done, and to lead us to faith and repentance. It's designed to lead us closer to the God we serve. If you are not a believer here today, if you do not serve this God, if you have not called Jesus your master and Lord, this kindness, the kindness that you receive in spite of that is designed to lead you to repent and to believe and to receive greater gifts, the gifts even of the whole kingdom through Christ our Lord and Savior. And even as believers, this is a daily habit of seeing the kind things of God, standing in awe above them, cultivating a sense of our unworthiness, and repenting of the sins that we have committed, drawing near by faith to a faithful Savior while doing good. That's our life together. And every kindness that we receive from God is an opportunity to engage in precisely that kind of prayer. That's the first thing, first way we're to respond. If you'll turn with me to Ephesians 4, we'll look at the second. Paul, in this book, goes on to say this. In verse 31... Because you have received this grace, because the Holy Spirit resides in you, because you are a believer, not on the basis of your own merits or works, but because God delighted in showing kindness to you out of his faithfulness and love and compassion and loyalty. Therefore, verse 31, let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice. Be kind to one another tenderhearted, forgiving one another as God in Christ forgave you. This kind of life 
that looks at the other person, the person across the pew from you, the person down the street from you, a neighbor, an old friend that you haven't talked to in a while, an enemy that you know you need to apologize to and they need to apologize to you and you're just waiting for them to go first. Those relationships, kindness will cut through. It did for us. When Christ came and revealed the kindness of God to us, it it cut through and it changed who we are and it enabled us to repent. And we've received the blessings thereby without any merit on our own account. Kindness cuts through impossible situations. It's risky. It opens you up. It doesn't always work, to put it that way. It doesn't fix every problem. But it cuts through the situation because it comes from God. And this kind of kindness, the kind of kindness that flows, as David does, the kind of kindness that flows from the desire to show and to demonstrate the kindness of God, the way in which God is kind, a kindness which you know because you have received it, that kind of kindness cuts through. And it enables us to enter into relationships that wouldn't have been possible before. Through this kind of kindness, God has so loved the world and is redeeming it for his son. Children of God, be ye kind to one another. Let's pray.